we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Look, we haven't done a MMOW, a Mike, Mike, and Oscar weekly news show in a while. As such, uh, our what we're watching lists have become kind of unruly. So with that in mind, because we have been covering the new stuff, or at least one of us, Mike's, has been responsibly covering the new stuff, while another one has been trapped inside of time capsules at some point between 1942 and probably 1967 or 73, uh, we figured we would spend today recapping our what we're watching lists and keep you in the loop on all of it. I am co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike, who will sing the official theme song for this episode as well. It's what we're watching. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So, like you said, this is normally a segment on our MMOW shows. We usually let off MMOWs with this segment because I am just addicted to new movies. And it's been now more than ever. So, I watched like 10 of them. I am fascinated by your list, though. Like, you really went to town on some classics. Now, the first question I have for you is, did you actually break the seals on some of those blu-rays or did you watch hbo max how dare you what do you think the answer to that first question is of course not i have a reputation to uphold in this business so all these are on tcm (laughs) or cable yeah it it was a lot of turner classic movies a lot of uh uh, some basic cable that's true you're telling me the truth (laughs) i'm this is dead serious man a lot of tcm on demand has been going on in my life the last couple weeks after clicking 50 channels in a row you find watched some of these grand classics just because they were on. I'll say this. I'm going to have a lot to say about Turner Classic Movies uh, in this episode. (laughs) The job they do is spectacular. You're a 70-year-old man. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean, it's 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 confirmed. I have nothing to combat that with between the brittle bones and body that I have and also now my watching habits and my free time. All I need is like a couple cats and some warm milk. Your Jack Robin Williams movie, or your <laughs> the reverse of Benjamin Button, and just, speed to, to you age quicker. Something on like the that. first twenty minutes of Benjamin Button. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're the old man baby. That's what you are. <laughs> But on the flip side of me being stuck in time and watching all these classics, you watched a lot of new stuff, and so that's kind of the the way we're going to approach this episode. Mike and I have a big long list of movies and some other stuff that we're going to get to. Uh, we're going to try to go back and forth. Mike's going to cover more of the recent stuff. I'll be interspersing with some reviews of some classics. And again, it's just to kind of keep you up to date. We've done a couple similar episodes throughout quarantine, but we figure with a lot of the country still in lockdown, uh, we wanted to let you know what is out there right now, what you can access at your fingertips and what is worth watching what is worth your time if you are seeking out a certain type of movie for your enjoyment what might satiate or quench that uh, movie going thirst i guess because nobody's going anywhere or at least you shouldn't be right now and fear not these are all going to be non-spoilers so yes. we're we're just going to keep it keep it light unless you break what you've done before i'm breaking let's be I, honest i've done it recently <laughs> But I, I don't know. We'll, we'll write it into our show notes if there's any spoilers. <laughs> We're going to really try hard not to spoil a thing. Okay. So I'll start out with perhaps the most uplifting film that I watched over the last, like, three weeks or so. Okay. It, it's uh, John Lewis, Good Trouble. It's a 2020 documentary now on VOD for $7, $8. So, Mike, I was worried about watching this after the news of John Lewis's death. 
after you know the news of the world really because i figured you know i kind of get melancholy bouts of melancholy with political docs at times yeah. especially in the fallout especially after talking to you mostly <laughs> after talking to you but mike understandable I should, I should not have despaired because you know when you watch a tribute movie that has the goods like a john lewis tribute movie will i mean it's about one of the truest american heroes you know that has walked this country and literally at, at the march at Selma, and it, this one just felt good for the soul. I laughed, I cried, I was inspired. I mean, check out John Lewis, Good Trouble, ASAP. Do support a movie like this. I hope they make 20 more about this man. I don't know why it took so long to make this movie. Uh, and uh, just, you know, first and foremost, I'll get into a negative in a minute. Watch John Lewis, Good Trouble. I think every time John Lewis's name is brought up on this program from now on, I'm just going to respond with rename that fucking bridge in, right. Al- in Selma, Alabama. I mean, the fact that uh, it's taken this long to still be named the Edmund Pettus Bridge is kind of a disgrace. And uh, for what that man did specifically, John Lewis, on that bridge uh, back in the civil rights fights of the 60s, uh, it's not, he's truly a hero, actually an absolute American hero. Uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he's getting his proper recognition. It's a shame it took so long. I echo what you say there. And they use the bridge as like a narrative through line. It, it, there's a piece on it in the beginning, middle, and end, which I really enjoyed. Uh, if I do have a negative about John Lewis' good trouble, though, there's only one instance in the film where the filmmakers give him uh, some dimensions and they seem to criticize him a little. That was mm-hmm. when he was in a political campaign. And I guess you could say maybe he fought a little dirty there with his uh, you know, opponent who he was lifelong friends with. So much like RBG, much like the Michelle Obama documentary Becoming, this is purely a puff piece, but I'm okay with it because you know, if you're going to make a tribute doc, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. I mean, it's meaningful with the, his tragic death. It's, it's meaningful with the times we're living in. It's essential for, for people that want to be uh, educated on, on the history of what's built into you know the, the last few months. So I, I think it's an important movie. If I rewatched it a couple of times, it might get that coveted B-plus grade. If I'm grading it as a film critic, though, it's like a, a, a solid, strong B, B-86. I'm just grateful for the watch, though, because it brightened up my week. It sounds like something that's fairly memorable, at least, something you'll, you'll stick with you for a long time. Um, the exact opposite of that feeling oh, is no. what I'm starting my list with. Look, Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, of course you would do this. Of course I, I would. I feel I, so bad. <laughs> right. It's like, yin and yang, though. You don't feel bad, but you do now because it's John Lewis. But I think. Well, no, uh, I feel bad for Billy Wilder, too. <laughs> like, double indemnity from Billy Wilder. It's a 1944 movie. It's it's Barbara Stanwyck. It's Fred McMurray. Yes. I watched it a couple weeks ago. I remember sitting through it and liking it and saying, that's a damn fine movie. I gave it like this a B minus B grade. And I could not remember it for the life of me. So take that for what it's worth. I had to do research right before hitting record on the phone with Mike to, like, joggle my brain and get any idea about what it was I watched. I think that's all to say I'm dumb. Uh, so that's not going to be my reviews for most of these. I apologize to Billy Wilder and his estate. Uh, it's a really good movie now that I remember what it is, but for some reason it just didn't stick with me, and I'm ashamed of myself, quite frankly. If I was a betting man, I would bet 
that the plot in your head right now is more double jeopardy with yes! Judd yes! and Tommy Lee That's Jones. what I keep thinking of. Of course it is. <laughs> I Which... know you too well, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I am! <laughs> so that's that's the one that's my shame of this classics review section. I apol I real like I genuinely I hate myself right now for this. I feel awful that I had this. I remember what it is now. It's a fine movie. It's a it's not a murder mystery, but it's basically like I described it to Mike was it's pretty much the exact opposite placing of Dial M for Murder by Hitchcock. So if that's the type of movie for you, I think you will enjoy Double Indemnity. And hopefully you won't be a doofus and you'll be able to remember it, unlike me. I do remember the charisma of those three characters, though. Edward G. Robinson is the is the third wheel in this one, and he's great. And I, rem- I, I had to write papers on it back in school, so... It's uh, it's it's one of those that obviously stood the test of time in terms of the film lexicon and 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 what it means. I wonder how much it factors into Ann Thompson's love of Barbara Stanwyck because she is her number one fan uh, going back. So that I'd be curious to find that out. But I, I definitely think Barbara Stanwyck it's per, it's perhaps her most charismatic. I would I wouldn't say charismatic role, but I just it has teeth to it. Seven Oscar noms. Yeah. 118th on the IMDb Top 250, and I couldn't fucking remember it to save my life. You must have watched it when you were tired. I'm a bad person. No, I watched it when I was a bad person, which is currently. Medicated? Yeah. <laughs> so, what's next on your list, Mike? All right, Greyhound, and this is the Tom Hanks playing a Navy captain during World War II, where he is, of course, the captain of the Greyhound battleship that protected Allied force supply convoys from German U-boats, Michael. And, look, Act 1 is terrible. It's Tom Hanks talking to Elizabeth Shue and then having awkward conversations with his crewmen, with the seamen there. And then (laughs) Act 3 is kind of lousy and cliched. But Act 2 is terrific. Oh, um, really impressed with tom hanks the writer here he he obviously wrote that thing you do he wrote and directed that and then uh he wrote larry crown he's written some tv over the years for for hbo most notably but he's been hit and literally missed now this puts him back in the hit category because this is the white knuckler uh, a true suspense film with a focused fast-paced action war movie plot that i'm just so impressed with i mean there's an hour in this movie that is terrific well, that's uh, good to hear. And when you said that you reviewed that, you watched that, and it wasn't worth an OSP, I was a little disheartened. I was hoping that thing, that movie would be an awards contender. Do you think there's any sort of awards legs with that? I know a lot well, of people were hyped up to see it. My problem with watching this movie, it took me three tries to actually take it in. Try number one, I watched like 10 minutes or so, and I just couldn't get into it. Again, act one is not great. Watch number two, I was writing an episode with you, and I, I was cocky, and I thought I could watch a movie while I was writing an episode, <laughs> and I didn't pay attention. And this is a movie where you really need to pay attention to the little details of the U-boat, you know, maybe coming up in front of the water. Or you, you know, you can't, like, half-ass watch this. Right. So once I put it on and shut the laptop... I was mesmerized. I thought it's terrific. I thought the visual effects, to answer your question, are really strong, even though you can kind of sort of tell they're CGI, Mm because of course they are, but Mm -hmm. they're really strong CGI effects, and I was glad for that. I wish I could have seen this on the big screen, but again, I'm just glad to see good movies right now, so kudos to to Apple for investing in this. But uh, as a film critic, the beginning and end is not great. The middle's awesome. Again, it's a strong 
B86, which is the truth for a lot of these movies today. But Greyhound is worthwhile as a as a dad movie watch. Well, as a B86, it sounds like a wise investment to have on Apple TV Plus on their part as they continue to build out their library there. It's wholesome, patriotic. You know, it's it's really difficult to dislike. So right. that's perfect for them right now. Uh, I had Homicide from 1949. I've never it's, seen that. It's a super quick 77-minute movie. The director is Felix Jacoves or Jacoves. Uh, it stars Robert Douglas and Helen Westcott. Again, unfortunately, fairly unmemorable, considering I just watched it probably two weeks ago, and it's basically, I can tell you that it was about a homicide, but this is for content reasons, more so than my memory reasons. This is not a watch I was overly enthralled with, and Anytime you have the line, that's right, when you need a laugh, stick close to a detective or beat your wife, it's probably all you need to know about my, you know, uh, limit of disdain or (laughs) stick with itness. I did watch the whole thing. I I I landed on a C minus 73. Quick, easy. I don't really recommend it. Uh, Nothing. uh, You can go your whole life without really knowing this one. So, yeah, I've never even heard of that film. I guess uh, i got to watch TCM some more. Now, was this on the back of another TCM watch? Or you just have a go-to trigger finger that goes back to TCM on your remote? I've been doing a lot of TCM on demand, so I was just... This one may not have even been TCM. This may have been Peacock, as a matter of fact, as they have a couple uh, on there. But I've been uh, just searching through old titles and just seeing for anything that kind of strikes my fancy. I promise there's a couple of gems in here. Unfortunately, Homicide just was not one of them and Felix Jacoby's for his part I did a little research afterwards uh, only directed two feature length films and this was I think the the last of his directorial efforts in 1949 so not somebody that lasted around the industry weird well yeah. I'll have to not check it out sometimes yeah don't so definitely thanks. avoid it if you can <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I watched The Old Guard on Netflix. Uh, Charlize Theron, you know, she's starring in this, and she might have a new franchise here uh, for Netflix because it did 72, 74 million views in yeah. its first f- four weeks. Or Every time I hear about a Netflix movie when they finally do release numbers, I keep getting impressed with or sus- more suspicious of their Bird Box number that they let us see. Because how could that have done 70-something million, but Bird Box still did 49 million or whatever the hell that number was? That sounds either wildly impressive or like we need some kind of audit. I think that they have more subscribers now based on yeah. the billions that they've been you know, talking about. I mean, it's crazy because HBO Max is like, we have 4 million in the first month. And Disney Plus is like, we have 35 million in the first four <laughs> months. And Netflix is sitting there making billions of dollars, 20 billion a year. Yeah. Oh my God. So the old guard is based on this comic book series that I am much more impressed with now than I thought I would be because we kind of reviewed the trailer and were soured on it because of the Superman problem. We have these immortal heroes that have been living throughout history. How do you make them vulnerable? Well, they not only make them vulnerable, but it's to levels of horror I never expected. So this is a terrific Hmm. writing job. Maybe that's a testament to the source material, but kudos uh, to the people involved in that. It's been uh, well-received from at least what I've seen on film, Twitter, and online, and it carries a pretty impressive 70 Metascore. Again, it's one of the more surprising uh, IPs that we've talked about on here. I have not taken it in yet because I've been too busy reliving the past, but I'm surprised what we did see in that trailer lived up to something watchable, and if not outright entertaining. 
Me too. I I was figuring to hate watch most of it, and it didn't start out great, so it was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I'm in for this, because it kind of starts out with the trailer. But anyway, Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane, they're total ass kickers. There's a couple really good fight scenes, and I, I love when they're unleashed in this. There's also kind of a cool vampire immortal intrigue going on here, so I was, in, I was surprised to engage with that as much as I did. Right. There's a villain problem. There's some simplicity here with the storyline, though I liked, you know, bringing in Kiki Lane as kind of a pass the torch uh, storyline going on here, mentor hero kind of thing with Charlize Theron. So I'm happy for Andrew. I'm happy for Netflix. Not that they need another win, but he's a friend <laughs> of the show. But this is a B minus for me, maybe a C plus range. But I, I'll, I'll give it the bump and uh, the benefit of the doubt. I think the fight scenes were fun. Based on what you and Andrew said in your most recent episode uh, that we released, I think it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. This one sets itself up to be played as a franchise. There's a no, sequel no that's doubt. coming. Yeah, no doubt about it. And there's a there's a cool actress that could be the villain in the next movie. And I'm I'm all in. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Uh, here's my chance to redeem myself. As you redeemed yourself to Netflix, I can redeem myself to the Billy Wilder camp because I watched Some Like It Hot, and this is a full-fledged yes. positive review I have. I had never sat down and actually taken in the entire movie of Some Like It Hot, and I don't know what more needs to be said or what I can add about one of the all-time greats. This is obviously a fun Friends on the Run movie. Jack Lemon, you can absolutely see why he was such a reliable leading man throughout four decades basically in Hollywood if not longer uh, I have a theory that I posted on social media that Joe E. Brown's character of Osgood is the only truly purely progressive and altruistic written character in the history of cinema and we as a society can only pray to be as level headed and unencumbered as he is by everything that goes on in life this is a man that rolls with every punch thrown at him and he just is I mean his aid is just always at satisfactory and satisfied and I think he's brilliant <laughs> i love this movie it had a lot of laughs too I, I guess that's not surprising considering who the leads were in jack lemon and tony curtis there and obviously marilyn monroe who plays her part but just a well-written well-constructed fun watch for two hours you can understand why it's one of the most lauded films of all time i think the 98 metascore that it carries uh tells you all you need to know quite frankly so when we watched All About Eve and never released that episode, mm -hmm. I remember talking to you about how Marilyn Monroe jumped off the screen yeah. in her brief scene in All About Eve. Did, did she do that in this movie? Is like this the biggest star-turning performance, or do you get used to Marilyn Monroe being Marilyn Monroe and that presence in this? Yeah, I, the latter of that. She was much more jarring, I think, in All About Eve. Because, well, All About Eve also came out. Uh, some nine years or so before some like it hot. So she had already kind of established herself. She didn't really have that, you know, new deer in the headlights, doe like complexion. I mean, all about Eve. She was fresh, a fresh face in Hollywood. Uh, this, you know, she's fine. She's a, she's still Marilyn Monroe. You're going to get what you're going to get from her. There is an actress coming up in one of my reviews of a classic who I would say it reminded me of Marilyn Monroe from all about Eve and the way she just kind of jumped off the screen and kind of commanded the attention of your eyes uh, between her beauty and her dialogue and all this. So we're going to get to that. And that's funny that you bring that up because that was the exact comparison I had in my head uh, for when I saw her, what she did. But in this one, Marilyn Monroe, she's just a good actress. I mean, that's that's the role she plays, and she plays her role perfectly in this. 
I'm going to have to go back to it. I, I need to go back into Billy Wilder. I remember loving him in school. Apparently so do I, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why we are quote-unquote friends. Uh, heavy air, use of the air quotes there. All right, Mike, I, uh, we did a terrible job of mix-matching these uh, reviews, but I'm going to review Relic right now. Relic is a 2020 horror film. That is on VOD for you all now. I think it came out last week. So I just reviewed a uh, female-directed movie, Gina Prince-Bythewood, in The Old Guard. And look, we've said it time and again, the horror genre, above all, needs more female auteurs. Mm -hmm. Natalie Erica James, she seems like the genuine article here as a director of Relic. Uh, She does a great job with three characters, and they're three generations of a family. Emily Mortimer we have as the protagonist and i just think she's had a strong career in smaller movies trans-siberian lars and the real girl dear frankie she's also a fan of hers yeah she's expanded to bigger movies like mary poppins returns and shutter island etc she's an underrated leading lady in my opinion and she just proves her abilities so well in this performance she's a believable kind of screen queen indie film version of that and I, I loved her opposite her mom, Robin Nevin, opposite her daughter in this film, Bella Heathcote. I thought all three did an excellent job with the three generations of this family. But the most fun I had with Relic was guessing what the hell it was about for the duration of the plot. Huh. It's one of those kind of movies. I don't, Or maybe it was just me, but I, I still don't exactly know what it was about in a literal <laughs> sense. <laughs> well, what's I the think... plot of the movie? What's the, what's the pull between these three generations of women? So the mother goes missing. They're li- she's living in in Australia. On Emily Mortimer's of- mother. Emily Mortimer's mother, and the 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 grandma of Bella Heathcote, and she's on the edge of the brush. I guess they call it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're outside of Sydney. I don't know if it's the edge of the brush, but it's in this rural area where the mother goes missing. But and there's a haunted house on the property, or there used to be. So you got some you know ghostly things going on. And basically, Emily Mortimer goes and investigates. So, like, where's my mother? Am I going to find her dead at this house? So it's just this crazy story. Jeez. Uh, I think it's a major think piece. I think the themes of it are clear. But, like, it almost reminds me of, you know, the uh, Scarlett Johansson movie, In Her Skin, or what was that called? Yeah, it's, 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 it's Under the Skin, and it's under actually the skin. In, uh, in, in plastic on my shelf. Yeah, well, it's, it reminded me of that one for I hear great reasons. things. Anyway, <laughs> I think uh, Relic is just a, kind of a cool movie to creep you out, to have a little fun with. It's a slow burn. Like, don't expect jump scares, but if you like creepy inner imagery and metaphors that kind of work. I mean, I just remember my grandparents while watching this movie. I kind of look on in horror at the day when I have to help out with my parents so yeah. I probably would re-watch this movie and give it a B plus. It's like right on the edge if I understood oh, wow. it more. But it's definitely B eighty six for me right now. And again, I could be talked into a higher grade. Netflix VOD. What is this? No, this is regular VOD. Okay. IFC Midnight. Gotcha. I have seen regular IFC. Well, it's nice you had some kind of emotional connection with your horror movie there, and IFC and or IFC Midnight, whichever it is, gets their hands on some decent properties. Uh, my next movie, I'm stretching the limits of whatever a classic is, or maybe I'm just resisting calling myself as old as I am because I'm only going back to 1992, which my God, I was here for uh, the player from Robert Altman. It's the first time I saw this movie. 
So I've never seen this. Shamefully, never. Yeah, seen it. and you should. Anyone that does anything with movies really should, just because, and it's understandable why the Oscars or the Academy tends to shine the light on like movies about themselves and about their industries because of all the hard work that they do that finally gets brought to the forefront. And finally, yeah, right. I mean, if ever there was, they could finally, you know, they breathe finally the get some attention, get the recognition. <laughs> But I have a couple surprises about this one. I gave it a respectable grade. It's a hard B, 85 for me. Uh, A couple things. One, I'm convinced either Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson saw the phone call scene from Act 1 in this movie and used it as the inspiration for the Drew Barrymore scene in the first Scream because it's basically the same shot for shot as far as uh, spacing and where the placements of everything is in the shot and all that. There's a lot of Hollywood royalty in this. There's a really good story. It takes a really weird turn that I did not expect the plot to go in this direction. Hmm. I'm not sure if I'm glad it did or not, but the fact that it did forced Tim Robbins to be this character who's really on edge the entire time and kind of looking over his shoulder all the time. And with that, I think... I would have rather seen someone else play this role. Like, I think it might be the least satisfied I've been with a Tim Robbins performance, which I think is only to say that he's actually a mortal and human and not just a god of acting at all times. I, I, I wasn't really thrilled with him in this movie. So that's kind of surprising. Maybe he just wasn't mature enough yet for the Mystic River performance where he's literally on edge because... Right. He's wondering if he's going to get caught or not going to get caught. And we're Which wondering is if the he did exact, it or didn't yeah, do it. It's, that's yeah. that tone in this movie he needs to play. I thought he was overacting at times. All of this said, this is one of the rare movies. I actually almost pitched this in our last episode for Christopher Nolan because it has everything Nolan we know about Nolan that he loves. It's a movie about the studio slash theatrical experience. It's a movie about the industry. There's a high crime, edgy your seat, what's going to happen, suspense, sphincter tightening drama attached to this, which we know huh. Nolan loves doing as well. I think it would it would be perfect for his kind of touch. But regardless of whether it's a Nolan film or not, I, I would love to see this film updated. And I would love to see Tim Robbins brought back in one of the studio head roles as a nod to what he did in this movie uh, when it first came out in 1992. Again, it's a fun watch. It's a good movie. It's just I my expectations were elsewhere. I really try not to bring expectations about movies, especially when I know nothing about them. Uh, but this took a hard left, and it was not the direction I thought this movie was going to go, and it ended up getting a little murky. But all that said, I'm a tough grader, and I still give this one a, a B all day, 85. So I'm not the biggest Robert Altman fan Me in the world. Me either. <laughs> I watched Cookie's Fortune recently, and I was like, oh, this is so boring. And it's still, I mean, Glenn Close and whatever. But yeah. I think... I think uh, he makes movies that are more realistic, I would say. like This grounded. is not. He's so prolific, though, Mike. Like, yeah. He made two movies a year. I mean, it was like whatever he was doing at that time. Must have been on a lot of cocaine. I hope not. <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't say those things. But the bottom line is I, I think if you're making that much content, like it's it's hard to be great all the time. Or it's, I mean, you're basically allowing things to breathe more. And did, did, you, did you have the player kind of being boring or did you say this was a lively plot? No, it wasn't boring at all. I mean, it, it kept my interest and that's why like, right. I'm a notoriously difficult grader and I still gave this one, like I said, a, a solid grade. So it kept my attention, did a well enough job of entertaining me. So the plot hooked you. I wonder if the plot turned you against it at all. Like you've, you've been known to be turned against plots before and just disagree with where it goes 
yeah. itchy parasite, what whatnot. Right, right. I, I I hold grudges easily. I don't really have a grudge against this one. I it's just it was unexpected. I was like, oh, okay, we're going in this direction now. I think I, I what I hold most against it is how it forced Tim Robbins to kind of act, and that kind of my biggest turnoff was his performance, frankly. But it doesn't <laughs> do enough to take me out of the movie, which I I don't like saying. I don't like being so negative about one of the best actors we have, but there it is. Well, I'm going to have to get on that one for sure. I'm walking away with from this review, what we're watching episode, <laughs> get after the player. Okay, I watched The Rental. This is 2020 VOD starring Allison Bree, Dan Stevens, Toby Huss. This is directed by Bree's husband, Dave Franco, Mike. And basically, this is two couples on a weekend vacation to a beautiful house in California, and they realize they're being watched. So this is a horror thriller. Holy shit. This burns a bit too slowly for my taste, but if you're into this character dynamic, I think the movie plays pretty well. Dave Franco's got talent, I think, as a director. It's it's kind of horror. It's kind of thriller. I'll let you be the judge of it when you actually see the thing. But I think the cast is excellent with Bree Stevens, and you get awesome performances by Jeremy Allen White of Shameless and Sheila Vand of Argo and a Girl Walks Home at Night. So I think the ending kind of works. It's kind of satisfying, and it pays off the, the setup of the middle, but that middle was kind of frustrating to get to the to third act so there's a lot of bonehead maneuvers that i'm yelling at the screen over you know with this home invasion kind of <laughs> pseudo story but i think you kind of need that if you're going to be i don't know if you're going to be vulnerable enough to be invaded i think you kind of need some dumbass characters or some characters that are compromised i guess you'd say so it's like a b minus at the end of the day for me and i was glad to watch it because dave franco might be uh, a thing going forward was this the one he's the writer of this too was this the one that that they worked on together during quarantine because this one just came out today right the 24th i think was the first was the debut date for this movie that's a great question i have no idea not sure because i thought i don't think it is now that i think because i could have sworn they wrote uh, allison brie and dave franco wrote a movie together in quarantine but it was a romance and so when you that's why when you said this is kind of a horror where someone's being watched, I was like, whoa, that, that's not what I'm thinking of at all. Yeah, the opposite of yeah. what you're thinking. But <laughs> or I, yeah, all I of know. my romances, as it were. Yeah, either or. <laughs> well, it's. I think you would be into it, I guess. I don't know if you need to pay the money to see it now. Maybe you can wait for it kind of deal, but uh, it's worth watching at some point. All right, fair enough. As far as people being watched and lovers being on screen, or at least being in front of the camera. Uh, oh, the no. Pe- the Petrified Forest from 1936. Uh, this is a quick hour and 22 minute movie and this is where i'm going to start gushing about what tcm does because their presentation of classics what they do is they have one of their hosts kind of set the stage and give you a little intro and outro about what you just watched or what you're about Mm -hmm. to watch for this one dave carger of tcm set the stage it's a 1936 movie like i said it's based on a play from the year before in 1935 and while the movie features some huge names carger told me that Humphrey Bogart landed this role, which was one of his first and his first big movie role, and he landed it in part because he actually resembled John Dillinger, the gangster his character, Duke Mantee, was based on. And it was actually one of the Warners in Warner Brothers who objected to Bogart's casting at all, which forced the lead in this movie, Leslie Howard, to protest and demand Bogart stay in the picture. Which I just love little nuggets like that, because who knows without this movie, and Bogart really does jump off the screen, and it's obvious as to what talent he is and has within him. If he doesn't get this job, does he turn into Humphrey Bogart? 
Or does, you know, John Dillinger get remembered as Johnny Depp for the rest of time? Right, yeah. How does that make sense? Good point, too. (laughs) Uh, For the film itself, as far as The Petrified Forest goes, I really think this is kind of a hidden gem. It's definitely true to its stage roots. The majority of the film takes place in a single setting of this small diner. This story is that Leslie Howard is a wealthy businessman. He's working his way across the country. He stops at a diner where a young Betty Davis is wow. the waitress, and their kinship is forged over the duration of the movie. That includes a gang-leading Bogart busting in while on the run from the law and needing a place for he and his gang to hide out. Like I said, it's quick, 82 minutes, well worth the watch. I truly think anyone that enjoys film should go out of way to seek this one out. Uh, I gave it an 88, a high B+. So I think we need more Betty Davis on MMO. That's what drew way. me to it, yeah. So that's that, what drew that's me to it. That's a good move by you. I'm going to have to see that one as well. I have no easy transition for my next one because I'm getting into music docs for some reason. But Alrighty. that's the eclectic nature of this <laughs> format. I watched Once Were Brothers, Robbie Robertson and the Band on yeah. Hulu. This is from 2020. Mike, I knew nothing about the band. i never seen The Last Waltz. And I didn't realize they sang the song about taking a load off Fanny. Oh, yeah, so, baby. I mean, this was an addictive music documentary, though. I mean, it's basically Robbie Robbie Robertson recollecting the bands being out on tour with Bob Dylan, the bands going off to New Hampshire somewhere up north into the woods and basically recording all of what would become their hits as as a group. It's, hmm. you know, talking about the name of their band, all the way through The Last Waltz and talking about how Scorsese shot it and whatnot. So I'm going to have to see The Last Waltz now. Yeah. And this was like one of those B85. I'm glad I watched it. I'm very white and I recognize my <laughs> Caucasianness and I'm, at, I'm at, at peace with it, I guess. One of my father's favorite bands ever. He, he, he loves the band. I can see why. I mean, your, your dad has good taste in this instance. I, I don't know if I can listen to them like all the time, but to just chill out. I'm, I'm into it. I mean, they're poets, man. I, I loved it. So was this like a prequel to the Scorsese doc where it runs into it all the same? It's a story of the band. It's of, just it's just a retelling of what they what yeah. they went through. That's kind of cool. Glad, it's good I wasn't titling it because I would have said story of the band, colon, the band. Because <laughs> so, I'm a corny bastard. There's that dad joke uh, intelligence seeping its way into this episode. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And that's they are as for a band that's like lasted the test of time. It's been as well known even into 2020 as they are. I think not enough is known about them at large. So it's cool that that kind of stuff is out there. Well, um, people are crazy over the last waltz, like crazy. Yeah. Over it. Like there's like 10 years older than us. If you're if you're five or 10 years older than us. Like, The Last Waltz is a formative music movie for you, apparently. I mean, learning that from the, the Ringer guys in a way, right? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that as well. A lot of people love that. And I've actually heard a lot of people be high on that, uh, the documentary you reviewed just now. So I, I, a lot of people are learning stuff about the band and being happy about it, I think. Yeah, Once We're Brothers. Check it out. Uh, as far as other things that surprise me, The Last of Sheila, uh, this is from 1973, I had an itching for a noir, and the reality is I had just watched the Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where they parody the Maltese Falcon. Or, no, I'm sorry, the uh, the Postman Always Rings Twice. Mike, you had Poison Ivy for noir with the list you're throwing at me lately. <laughs> yeah. So what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I like noirs. I like, I like the detective thing. I think I was getting into the Christopher Nolan headspace of the last there you go. <laughs> last couple of weeks there. But So I just typed in best noirs of all time into Google. 
This uh, one came up. I knew nothing about it whatsoever. So I put it on and tried it out. And what it is, is a 1973 mystery about a widower who invites a group of friends to play this large-scale, essentially, scavenger hunt a year after the hit-and-run murder of his wife, Sheila. And it turns out that the game is this twisted affair wherein a secret is revealed about each participant, including which one of them actually is the killer of Sheila. So many of those words sold that movie to me, <laughs> like immediately. I'm gonna have to. I, I, I'm not kidding. I want to watch that more than I want to watch the player. After your lukewarm review, because like Tim Robbins sucks, but yeah, well, yeah, okay. we're pretty much. <laughs> the, apologies to the Robbins and Wilder camps. Really doing a number on Hollywood royalty this episode. Uh, <laughs> the last of Sheila, it's it's good. The twist, they kind of paint themselves into a corner, and they do a creative enough job of bringing it full circle. I gave it that B minus B line. This was all before I decided to hit play on it before TCM again came to the screen and told me that this movie was actually written by Stephen Sondheim hmm. and Anthony Perkins. <laughs> They're the yeah. two listed writers, uh, one of only two screenplay credits in either man's career. They decided to team up and do this script. So after you play in Psycho for Hitchcock, Right. That's where your headspace is always going to be. Exactly. Perkins, exactly. So I, I don't know where Sondheim fits in. Maybe he's just an unwell man, but all right. Cool. So I'll have to check that last of Sheila or the last Sheila. The last of Sheila from 1973. If it was Steve Irwin titling mm-hmm. it, the last. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I was going to do an Australian accent. You should have. Into you should have just Reynolds. embraced it and um, gone into it. Turning into D Reynolds. I'll be quick with my next one. As my uh, linguistic abilities fa- fail me, my spy on Amazon Prime is just awful. Oh, no. This is Dave Batista. This is a, an adorable little girl who I just, I hated both of them. <laughs> I, I just, this was so bad. It's not funny. It's not charming. My spy is predictably unbelievable. I mean, it's just nonsense how this little girl leverages to become a part of a CIA investigation of serious international <laughs> criminals. Are you kidding me? In other words, just skip my spy, D+. Plus, blah. Could you... Because you and Andrew talked about when you were doing the, the short film series from Netflix, you, you can find... Reasons to dislike children, children on film. Right. No, I don't. I hate telegraph jokes. I hate the joke where get ready for the joke. We're about to tell a joke. Here's a joke, and then right. the joke's not funny. So it wasn't. It's just poor writing, is what you're saying. It's bad. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a bad movie. So I Amazon Prime bought it. They took a chance on it. Maybe some people got some enjoyment out of it during quarantine. Like I think if you're watching a movie with your kids and you want some amusement, I mean, I would watch other stuff, but. I, you know, maybe you get something out of it if you're expecting nothing. But I was expecting something, and I got nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> so it has potential merit if you're forced to spend a day with your children. I am a nihilist <laughs> after watching my spy on Amazon Prime. I could, well, hopefully, I could turn things around because this next review, Doctor Strange Love, the Stanley Kubrick movie, the best movie I've watched so far in 2020. Oh, good. And yeah, I don't think it's particularly close. I, I've never sat down and watched this again. And thank God for Turner Classic Movies. 
things. I am going. I'm just the. I'm a stan of them. I actually sat down at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night because this was scheduled to play at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, and I sat down and I watched a movie on cable, and there were no commercials, and it was great, and it was the best movie I've seen this year. And if we could somehow figure out a way in which to get this movie Oscars eligible for 2020, I think all of our problems would be solved. I think when I'm senile and I'm just like my reality is just all a mush when I'm older, (laughs) hopefully 80s, 90s or whatever, you know, this would be one of the few movies like I would want to be living in. Yes. (laughs) It's just one of those realities that's fun. It's dense. It's uh, like, I mean, George C. Scott. He is is hysterical in this movie. Like, I don't want to be, you know, senile in this alternate reality that's just heaven. Like, I want to be in a reality that has some drama to it and some stakes, and but it's still funny. Like, I want to be in a dramedy with some, like, apocalyptic stakes, and this would just be, like, Peter Sellers doing all those roles. I want to be in the war room. I want to be, you know, across from Peter Sellers. I, I love that movie. Again, thanks to TCM, Peter Sellers, who notoriously plays three of the main roles in this movie, they asked him, supposedly, to play a fourth role and he just bowed out of it and said that's too much and it conflicts with my schedule I'm not going to do it so I think he was supposed to be uh, the guy that ends up riding the bomb which isn't a spoiler everyone knows that scene uh, where taking off his hat and whipping it into the wind uh, and he he turned that opportunity down I echo what you say George C. Scott which is easy for me to say apparently is absolutely hysterical it's stunning and very sad the yeah. translatable analogies that can be drawn between this quote-unquote satire piece and the current-day American foreign policy. <laughs> so I'll leave that for what it is, but uh, best movie I've seen in 2020 so far. Still great. I yes. love Dr. Strangelove. Okay, I'm going to review How to Build a Girl from 2020. It's on VOD right now with Beanie Feldstein, who oh, is yeah. super charismatic. She plays this fictional 15 16 year old girl who becomes like this rock critic journalist in 1980s great britain a suburb and she travels back and forth to the city mike there are some of the happiest moments some of the most joyful scenes of the year where beanie feldstein is just rocking out you know partying like a rock star at all these concerts and it reminded me of my 20 something rock concert going days that i would like to get back to i don't even care if i'm the old guy at the concerts anymore i still want to just go back to a concert at some point just want to hold on to that youth if my brother's listening, he'll probably buy tickets like next week. Anyway, <laughs> look, How to Build a Girl doesn't work. Like the plot is just so formulaic. I mean, it's trying to tell this stupid love story. Like, just tell the story of Beanie Feldstein and her career and her trying to, you know, make it as a career woman. And it just makes no sense that it has to, you know, incorporate that B plot. It's just ridiculous. And so performances are good she's very charismatic i can't believe she pulls off the british accent uh although i'm sure like i don't have the ear for it and our british fans (laughs) would get on my case about that but to me it sounded convincing and i was like wait a minute i mean i had to look it up it's like wait a minute i thought she's jonah hill's sister and they grew up in hollywood so i had the check i had the check so that's you know kudos to her right there so delivers some goods i like the rock scenes but it's it's a stupid story so that's unfortunate so it's not the the updated almost famous for a new generation no not quite but i I mean it balances out like the good and the bad so i give it a c at the end of the day all right well that's passable still enough to to kind of 
Would you recommend it, I guess, is what I'm getting at? No. Like, no. if you come across it on a streaming service, I'd say that's where to watch it. Okay. All right. Um, There's some fun scenes. Yeah. All right. Well, pies and low Pies and lows. I want you have some pies. That's where my I want some at. pies. Yeah. Highs and I lows for that pies. one. I've had, dieting. Some, I've had some pies that were lows, let me tell you. Oh, no, but I've been at dieting for so long. Maybe that's why I can't speak in this episode. Because I'm like, hungry, skipped lunch. All right, go ahead. Yeah, well, there's a sandwich on the horizon for all of us, I think. So if I had an I can't apartment, have sandwiches. I can't even eat bread. If I had an apartment where you can go and instead of cheat on your wife, you can go and eat sandwiches. <laughs> how's that for a transition? <laughs> <laughs> that would be our lowly form of existence or we would we would go to a motel <laughs> i did watch the apartment i know you've watched this recently as well uh but that is basically another billy wilder piece from 1960 the apartment jack lemon i the thing i took away most look it's one of the all-time great movies 94 metascore it's got high marks on every every uh, review site that's going i gave it a, a solid bb plus myself i was there's a lot of misogyny, which there has to be for this story. I was actually surprised at like how progressively written Jack Lemon was and his okay. character was. He does some shady stuff and some stuff that doesn't hold up to twenty by twenty twenty eyes. And what are you going to do about that? But I think for the time, especially for nineteen sixty, it's kind of impressive that this guy, this character, was not written worse, <laughs> which is kind of a downer thing to say. But it's it's how I felt in watching it. Again. Billy Wilder being progressive. I mean, if I had, you know, an apartment, apparently I would just like have Arby's or McDonald's. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have a girl there. But all right, listen, I was waiting for this review from you because I had, you know, tabbed this as my favorite quarter two best picture winner because I had this memory of the apartment as something that was a great movie. And I'm and, and putting it up against all of like the recency bias films, Gladiator and The Hurt Locker. I didn't want to pick one of those steak eater movies. Right. So I picked the apartment. I was like, I'll be snobby for mm-hmm. once and pick a classic. So I'm worried about what you're going to say now is so this is not the all-time classic that you would say dr strangelove is i mean i'm gonna to have to rewatch it because I, I know it's on demand i guess tcm on demand yeah right? you, that's where you, so. yeah it was tcm on demand i i think i was ex- it might have been peacock as well like i said they go interchangeably but i think i was just expecting more and that's again my problem that's what you do when you go in with heightened expectations it's it's good it's really good i mean it's a very very good movie i think i i i, I prefer it to something like the player uh, mm-hmm. But no, if you're going to go apples to apples with Dr. Strangelove, I think Dr. Strangelove is quite a bit uh, tighter and just more for me anyway. Well, I'm a little disappointed by that, but you will be heartened by this fact. I saw The Hunt, and I basically saw it the same way you did. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I gave in. I finally watched it. It's $6. I didn't really want to, but I was kind of surprised by the plot. And like you said, the, the action movie performances were good. Uh, the the action movie kills were crazy, but it's just like like irresistible, Mike. It's like convoluted plot to tell a simple political message. It's like it's an over elaborate way yes. to deliberate that message, which is just ultimately aggravating. So I think the director Craig Zobel has talent. I give it a C plus at the end of the day, but it was more frustrating than I thought it would be. Uh, I'm gonna do my last of the new movies real quick because I just wanted to tell the folks I rewatched. Palm Springs, Mike. Mm-hmm. I have the same plot problems that I I did before. I have the same tonal issues, but this movie is just so damn funny. 
So I don't know if it's a me problem or an us problem. Like we have That's My Boy because it made us laugh <laughs> as a movie that's quote unquote good. It's in the positive column. It's in the win column. Are we insane? Because like, I just rewatched at the end of that the other day too because it was on TV. I guess you know I'm breaking your balls watching stuff on TV. But I watched the end of that movie. It was terrible. Awful. <laughs> it was still funny though. So basically like Palm Strings for being funny should wash away some of its other sins and I should have given it a B grade from the start and I probably should have highlighted that more in our review but I was just like caught up in the negative for some reason because I had high expectations or we're in yeah. you know a global pandemic and we're all quarantined and trapped inside our houses and I don't know what it was. One of those things. I think it was the expectations again which has been a running theme for all my reviews today. It's just that we kind of we were excited about the Sundance record, the purchase record. We were excited to have a new movie, and it had some legitimate buzz to it, awards-worthy buzz. Uh, That's My Boy is almost the exact opposite. <laughs> so I think anything, any positive in that would be a pleasant surprise. And That's, that's My Boy literally writes plot for the jokes. <laughs> And they I appreciate it doing so. Retcon plot, like major plot for <laughs> jokes. And they're bad jokes. <laughs> well, that's your opinion, sir. <laughs> All right, what else you got? Uh, I got one more classic. And uh, being let down a little disappointed is kind of how I saw this one, Shadow of a Doubt, which I, I watched, didn't realize was even a Hitchcock movie, and you chimed in at the end of last episode. And, oh, yeah, the Hitchcock movie. I was like, oh, okay, well then. Hmm. Uh from 1943, this is Teresa Wright, Joseph Cotton, McDonald Carey. Hitchcock is the director. I don't think he wrote it. I'm looking real quick. No, he did not. Alma Reville uh, did, though, have yeah, a screenwriting credit there. Uh, it was nominated for an Oscar. It's a great story, and it should have more heart to it. And the relationship between the niece and the uncle character, uh, I felt, didn't have nearly enough tension that I... I I wanted it to have uh, and it was kind of aggravating to watch the niece kind of be manipulated in such a blatantly obvious way as she is that I found it to be a little excessive and not all that realistic but again I, I'm speaking from 2020 and this movie was made 80 years ago so I, I'm not sure that I want to comment on how people would have reacted to that situation at the time I just remember my college professor basically because you, you're talking about it wasn't creepy enough or it wasn't suspenseful enough but my college professor with a PowerPoint presentation on Shadow of a Doubt went like 50 stills from that movie. And he's like, this is the same as Dracula. Or, you know, look at the lighting that Hitchcock did here. Look at, you know, so the production values apparently is where, you know, the, the film gurus just think this movie is, you know, one of the best ever. I th and I think I remember seeing it in like a bunch of film history books, too, for the same reason. I think by starting my review of the classics out with saying I don't remember Double Indemnity has kind of uh, <laughs> given me the blanket. I'm an ass when it comes to reviewing classics. So I, that's that's fair. Well, you discredit yourself immediately. It's like you your character assassinated yourself in the act scene one of the movie. Right, right. I don't know why you put it there, but you did. It was one of the. This has been my defense. I put it there because it was the first thing, the earliest thing I watched, and we haven't done what we're watching in a few weeks. Right. So. I didn't help myself either. Like I don't even like Robert Altman. <laughs> like he's one of the greatest of all time directors. Made two movies a year. Yeah, but Gosford Park is a slog. 
some of his movies we really don't like. Anyway, we got like one last segment here. Maybe we'll do rapid fire reviews because you know we're gonna trade international films and horror movies. You watched a few horror movies, yeah, Mike? Yeah. Uh, I can right. start there. Go we ahead. the first one. This is something you already reviewed, but the updated Child's Play from 2018. It's it's if you need a quick horror movie, it's on I think HBO uh, on demand right now. It's one of the premium movie channels. I was most impressed with what I thought I would be most impressed with, which was Aubrey Plaza's portrayal of the mother. I thought she was yeah. the one who. Uh, who was best suited for the screen. Uh, as, as far as people jumping off the screen, I forgot to mention it, but in The Last of Sheila, I forgot to mention it, but Raquel Welch totally jumps off the screen. Oh, wow. Ab- Aubrey Plaza, not in the same way, and not to that magnitude, but I think she was who I was most drawn to, but I gave it a, a, a C, C-plus rating. It's a fine horror film. All right. I, uh, I watched Corpus Christi, Mike, international film, Oscar nominee for best international film from last year. This is now on VOD. Jan Komasa. My God, can he direct a movie? Mike, this was the best thing I've watched this past month, Corpus Christi. I I, I just think it's one of those high B-pluses, B-plus, 88, 89. I mean, it's about this young ex-convict, 20-year-old, 18-year-old, released from juvie in Poland, right? Mm -hmm. And then he finds his way moonlighting as a priest in a small town racked by a recent tragedy that has fallen upon them. So... It's a film and a story that shouldn't work because the main character does terrible things. He does good things to help his community. I can't believe, like, I'm rooting for this character who's such a scumbag but also a nice guy. I can't believe he can be both things. I'm so impressed with this one. And apparently it's a real problem in Europe, these imposter priests. Hmm. It happens all the time. Wow. That's not news that I was privy to. That's interesting to hear. Uh, It's something I'll have to check out then. I watched Charlie Says... Which is Ugh, I couldn't get through it. I watched like twenty minutes. Yeah, I I wish I I'm, I understand why I should say I'm not very high on it. Too much nudity. <laughs> That's not Too the much. reason I don't think. But okay, uh, I think Merritt Weaver does a really good job. She's the kind of the therapist that has to walk the three Manson girls. Uh, she's dealing with them in behind bars and in prison, getting their story and helping mm-hmm. them uh, with therapy. I think she's really good and an underrated actress on the whole. You'll know her probably best from as the sister in last year's Marriage Story. But it was it, it's it's just slow. It's too slow for my liking. By the time you get into the the action or like the psychotic breaks or or whatever you're trying to get to the conflict or the the crescendo of the film, it, it's done too much damage to itself by then. Uh, C minus slow. I probably will never watch this again. That's a shame too because yeah. this wasn't that uh, Mary Heron. Uh, yeah, that was Mary. That's a good call. I forgot to mention that. Yes, Mary Heron was the director on this. I wanted her career to go so much yeah. differently after American Psycho. Yep. Anyway, I watched Force Majeure. This is from 2014, Mike. This is the film that was remade, I think, by the same director, Ruben Ostlund, into the Will Ferrell, Mary, uh, Mary Louis Dreyfus yeah. movie Downhill that apparently was terrible. But the source material, oh, my God, it's terrific b plus 87 the premise is like the stuff of philosophy and film courses if you ever took one of those you know what i'm talking about it's just that dilemma that you really want to get inside and analyze and talk about for a whole class or seven right so I mean, basically this guy is with his family at a ski resort and they're eating lunch out on a patio and there are all these planned avalanches, right? I mm-hmm. guess they got to get the snow off the mountains and they, they can't have all that loose snow or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
So they plan an avalanche, but it comes in too big, and everybody starts running. Well, the father runs away from the family, and the mother is left there holding the two children. <laughs> but then it's a mist, of course, and it wasn't a real avalanche, and everybody was terrified. They have to reckon with this in a very serious way, but it's also kind of funny. I mean, the last hour of the movie reckons with that one incident. I just thought it was fascinating. <laughs> it's a funny story. <laughs> it is funny that's why like you think will ferrell and mary louis dreyfus right that's why we laughed at the preview but i can't believe they got so much mileage out of it it was really terrific it can't be it's not mary louis dreyfus is it <sighs> did i screw up her first name what's her name i can't remember it. julia louis dreyfus i'm <laughs> turning into our parents all our parents <laughs> all our parents listening i'm turning into you i'm like the goddamn progressive commercials that are actually funny and the fact that i laugh at those goddamn progressive commercials with the giant mustache man where he's like you know don't look blue you ever see those those are great if you have if you can't sit you have too many pillows <laughs> that's the great those are the funniest commercials you God uh damn it you're joining me in my quest to be a 70-year-old man right now. <laughs> I make fun of you of things that I just am guilty of myself. I have blood on my hands. You're projecting. Saying, <laughs> um, the last horror movie I have that's not in our horror movie, which is really underrated and a hmm. twist that I think makes it there's a genius to this script in where this, the script goes. Uh, better watch out. I, it's a movie that's been on my radar for a while. I couldn't find a place mm. to watch it. I think I finally saw it on Amazon Prime. I think it's where it's available now. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's a Christmas-themed movie. I would watch this over the Black Christmas remake every day, twice on Sundays. This is uh, well worth your time as a horror movie uh, if you if you enjoy the, that genre. I cannot recommend it enough. I, I gave it like a B minus B just because, you know, it, it's still kind of a lowly horror movie but there is a genius to the script and to where the uh antagonism comes in that i did not see coming and i think is really really well done that's great to hear because i i really enjoyed that film i, I think i recommended it to you like three years ago oh did you yeah i don't know maybe maybe this was before our time together i don't know it is it's, I, I think it's a 2016 or 2015 movie so it's possible you, why are you making me second guess myself? No, I recommended this to you before. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Nah, I'm pretty false. sure you notoriously forget all of my recommendations. Fair. And then, yeah. Anyway, I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Better Watch Out. Great, great Christmas movie. I'm surprised we, you know, we didn't review it for like one of our, you know, very Merry Christmas episodes. But uh, yeah, it's still can happen uh, i forgot to mention gretel and hansel with sophia lillis but you're doing horror movies so i might as well right now mm -hmm. i think the cinematography was brilliant i think the production values were awesome alice krieg who plays all the cyborgs on star trek she's the witch and goddamn, she's terrifying the story isn't great mm -hmm. i mean i kind of liked the first you know hour in a way but the, the ending is kind of weird and i don't know it doesn't work at the end of the day but sophia lillis is good and it's kind of I don't know. As a, like I think I got it for three dollars on AMC. You know, I watched it on my laptop. I, you know, it's one of those movies probably better in the theater. But yeah. you know, speaking of horror movies, my last movie though I want to talk about is The Wave. This is a disaster movie uh, from 2015 on Hulu. It's a Norwegian film. And Mike, I never knew that mountains could fall and cause tidal waves. Waves. Did you know this? I that sounds like a premise to a John Cusack horror movie. You would think it's, it sounds like a ridiculous premise, but mudslides or 
whatever causes an island mountain to fall into a bay and knock a tidal wave into a city on on the bay mm-hmm. apparently that happened in Norway a long long time ago and they're worried you know geolo- geologists are worried that it's going to happen again or it's a bunch of worry wart uh filmmakers trying to capitalize on that worry i don't know but it made for a wild special effects driven disaster movie in 2015 the fx were awesome the characters you root for them cliches galore and of course you know it's going to happen the disaster so you're just like screaming at all these idiots saying why would this happen of course it won't happen and this one man one man has to say speak truth to power yeah so of course there's that but once it gets going it's it's a lot of fun ha huh. well is that, that enough hard. is that enough options for of, you you listener you just demand from us and we keep giving and giving and reviewing and watching for you we owed them though we owed <laughs> we them did. some what we're watching <laughs> we did i'm just being yeah. a jerk uh that's all stuff that is available right now uh through one avenue or another through some on demand we tried to include where we watch these and where you can find these right now on your own remote and on your own device at home and you know sometimes you just got to suck it up and party like it's 1995 and sit and watch cable for a little bit and see what happens uh, to our younger listeners cable is this mode of uh television that came and it goes up through a literal wire that goes to your tv uh, ask your parents about it. Otherwise, your formative years, though, Michael. Your formative <laughs> years were in the early two thousands. So in nineteen ninety five, you were young. You're like a middle schooler, right? No, ninety five. I think I was uh, eight. Okay, so what are you talking about? Party like it's nineteen ninety five. You weren't partying. You I, were watching TV. I feel yeah. I was watching cable TV. <laughs> <laughs> we were never cool. Is what I'm trying to say. We were never. <laughs> Cool. You honed in we on the party, always... the party part of that. I guess I did. All right, I, I took that part literally. It's Friday, is what we're trying to say, <laughs> and it's been a long week. Uh, but we thank you for tagging along. Hopefully, we gave you guys some options that you can watch and enjoy yourselves with if you continue to quarantine. Uh, and and if you are, stay safe, be responsible out there. Hope the best for you and everyone around you. Have a good weekend, guys. As always, want to hear from you. Want to hear your reviews of anything uh, that we did cover in this episode or anything we did. Not that you've watched recently, you can reach out to us as well as leave us comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you are quarantining with us and listening to us, whether it be a Friday or a Monday or, you know, any other day that ends in Y, if you would be so kind as to go on the Apple Podcasts app and leave us a five star review, that would make our day, whatever day that may be. Michael, what is coming next? Stop me talking, please. It is wise to uh, patronize. Uh, patronize is the wrong word. Patron TCM, though, right? I mean, yes. TCM's putting out good stuff. I would say words of wisdom on your behalf Thank for you. once. Because, you know, I, look, I, I, I was coming down on TCM before. Basically, I'm trying to make fun of you because you're an old fogey trapped in a young man's. Well, now you got an old body, an too. Old, Sorry. Just old. I'm just old. Yeah, no, you're old on both fronts, physically, <laughs> mentally, spiritually, three fronts, both of the three fronts. I Look, it, here, it's wise not to record two days in a row, because apparently I just can't stop talking all over you in this episode. Good luck with editing this. But yeah, TCM, still good. Thumbs up. All you need to stop talking to. We have no idea what the fuck we're doing in our next episode. <laughs> 
after you know we're thinking about some different things. So you'll find out. We're planning to record Monday. You'll find out on Tuesday. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us and Lord knows we just gave you a lot of them to choose from. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See you.